So I had a really good time talking to you about the temples last week. And um, as I told you last week, God willing, I'm going to go stand on the Temple Mount when I go to Jerusalem. And it's my intent to film with my camera, video, to show you what the whole Temple Mount looks like. Just go find one spot, stand there, and just turn all the way around. Um, but sometimes they shut down the Temple Mount. Sometimes can't get up there. Sometimes they're throwing stones at people. So that's my intent. We'll see what God has in mind. But I told you that there's going to be another temple built. In fact, there's going to be at least two temples built. There's at least ten passages of Scripture just in the Old Testament that talk about another temple that has not yet been built. Take a look. Now, that's not the next one that's going to be built. We don't have that kind of detail. <laughs> but that's a give you an idea of what one of the old ones might have looked like. Notice the temple itself is kind of small. It's the courtyard that's really big. And in one of the temples in the future, in the Millennial Temple, the courtyard's going to be like miles. You think about it, it's going to be the only house of worship on the planet. So there's going to be room there for gazillions of people. So here's the ten passages of Scripture... Notice I broke it up into two pieces. Uh, the one through six are the passages that mention a temple by the word temple. And then seven through ten use the word sacrifice or sacrifices. So it may not say temple, but it's obvious you're sacrificing. It's at the temple. And I said ten passages, but that's not really true. Look at the first one, Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48. Extensive detail on the layout of the millennial temple. Millennial. Let me explain to you what that means. It comes from the word millennium for a thousand years. It says in the Bible that when Jesus comes back, he's going to rule on this planet for a thousand years. It would be a time of peace and prosperity. And there's going to be a temple at that time. So there's the millennial temple, and then there's the tribulation temple. Right now I'm talking about the millennial temple. But maybe you're wondering, like a lot of people do, if Jesus is going to be here, why in the world would we need a temple? In the old days, before Jesus came, there were all these sacrifices. And the sacrifices, people thought, atoned for sin. They atoned for sin, but they didn't take away sin. It doesn't mean the same thing. So the next temple... It's the same. It doesn't take away sin. Jesus takes away sin. The first temple didn't take away sin. The second temple won't take away sin. The purpose then is different. Well, then what's the purpose? I don't know. I just know he's going to... It says build one, so they're going to build one. A lot of people say, well, since Jesus takes away our sin, the idea of sacrifices is repugnant. This must not be a passage of Scripture we're supposed to take literally. Look how many chapters on the details of how the temple is supposed to be laid out. And all the other passages are taken literally. So, yes, there's going to be a temple. Why? I don't know. But let me read to you what John Whitcomb says. He's got a great article on the Millennial Temple. And here's what he says. Even in the age of grace, like now, God deems it necessary for Christians to be reminded of the awful price that Jesus paid through the symbolism of the bread and the cup. Drinking of this cup of blessing does not involve a reoffering of the blood of Christ in contradiction to the book of Hebrews, but serves as a powerful remembrance of Christ and a powerful proclaiming 
of the Lord's death until he comes. Likewise, in the context of distinctive Israelite worship, the five different offerings, four of them with bloodshedding, will serve as a constant reminder of, to millennial Jews who will not yet be glorified of the awful and complete sacrifice which their Messiah, now present in their midst, had suffered centuries before to make their salvation possible. In view of the fact that there may be no other bloodshed in the entire world, because everything's going to be like Eden again, such sacrifices upon the temple altar would be doubly impressive. So that's his opinion on it. And it sounds good to me. Um, but there are other reasons for sacrifice. There were uh, purity reasons for sacrifice. And most importantly, though, there were instructive reasons. So I'm just going to for now think, okay, in the Old Testament it was instructive, and in the millennial, the millennial kingdom it'll be instructive. But any more than that, it's just guesswork. But I don't think we can just consign all these passages to the trash bin and reinterpret them and then say they're not literal. I don't think we can do that. So we'll just take it for what it says. The millennial temple is in the context of Messiah's reign on earth when there's peace on earth and goodwill towards men. But there's another temple mentioned in Scripture that exists when the Antichrist is on earth. And we don't have peace on earth and goodwill towards men. We have evil on earth and bad will towards men. That's one of the reasons I know there's two separate temples and two separate times. During one, it's the rule of Messiah. During the other, it's the rule of the Antichrist. The tribulation temple, um, this period, I told you we got a thousand years where Jesus is going to rule and reign on the earth and everything's going to be like the Garden of Eden again. But before that, there's going to be seven years of hell on earth where the world's just... The Bible says if, if God didn't stop all the death everybody on the planet would die. So it's going to be really bad. During that time period, we call that the tribulation. There's at least three passages just in Daniel that talk about the tribulation temple. And it's interesting that each one of those passages mentions war or wickedness, and it uses the same expression over and over and over. The abomination that causes desolation. So, Daniel mentions it three times, and each time it's associated with evil on the planet, war, and the Antichrist defiling the temple. Let me give you an example of one of those readings from Daniel 9.26. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. Okay, let me explain to you what's going on here. Daniel's having a vision, and he's being told about the future. And the angel tells him there's going to be a set of sevens. Seven what's? Seven years, we think. Sets of seven years. Seven sevens. And he tells him exactly what's going to happen. So he says, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one, that means Messiah, will be cut off and have nothing. Cut off, dead. Well, if you calculate from the time of the rebuilding of the second temple up to the time of Jesus the Messiah, you end up with 62 set of sevens of years. So we know that Daniel was telling us about the Messiah and the future. Then it says, the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end will come like a flood. That's exactly what happened. So Jesus is cut off. A few years later, the entire temple and city of Jerusalem are attacked by the Romans and destroyed, especially the temple. 
So we know Daniel is giving everybody the future. Remember, Daniel lived about 700 years before Jesus. So it was like way prophecy for him. But what I just read to you isn't prophecy for us. It's history. Daniel's prophecy was our history. But he gave some prophecy that's still our future too. So as the scripture goes on, he says, War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one-seven. Now, I know the tribulation is supposed to last seven years. I think this is that seven years. And in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. Okay. Whoever this he is, he's going to have an agreement with, apparently, Israel for seven years. There will be a temple again, because in the midst of that, after three and a half years, he's going to put an end to the sacrifices. So the tribulation period, seven years, the temple's going to be there. Halfway through, he's going to put an end to the sacrifices. In the middle of the seven, he'll put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. What in the world is an abomination that causes desolation? You know what an abomination is, don't you? It's just something really disgusting. It, I don't mean disgusting as in gross, though it might be. Something extremely spiritually offensive in this context. That which is totally anti-God or anti-Christ. Like putting an image of himself in the temple or worse, which we'll see when we get to it. So, this is one of the three verses I told you. Daniel 9, 11, and 12 talks about the next temple. And each one talks about this abomination that causes desolation. Now, when you read through the prophecy of Daniel, you can follow the history up into the Roman Empire. And then it all becomes future. But there's another school of thought that says, no, it's no future. It was all filled, fulfilled by 70 AD. In fact, uh, the school of thought is preterism. And basically, everything was fulfilled by the time Jerusalem was destroyed. Uh-uh. I, I can't accept that. They say Antiochus Epiphanes set up an image of himself in the temple around 200 B.C., 165 B.C., and that fulfills the abomination of desolation. Well, they are right. Antiochus did set up an image of himself around 165 B.C., and it was an abomination, but that doesn't fulfill the prophecy. And I don't guess, I don't opine. I'm not giving you my opinion, which we often do with Scripture. I'm giving you a fact. I know this to be true. Preterism is wrong. Antiochus did not fulfill the prophecy because Jesus said he didn't fulfill the prophecy. And Jesus lived about 200 years after Antiochus did that thing. Let me read to you Jesus' own words from Matthew 24. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. So Jesus is now giving a prophecy. He's talking about the future when people will turn away from the faith. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. It's a great apostasy, and it's going to be mentioned again. So Jesus is talking about the future. He says, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved or delivered. This gospel of the kingdom 
will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. There should be no argument. Jesus, who lived 200 years after Antiochus, said it hasn't happened yet. It's in the future. It's in the future during the time of the great apostasy, during the time when wickedness abounds, during the time when the love of many grow cold. It's then that this will happen. For then there will be great distress, tribulation, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. All right, we're going to stop there for a sec. He said... Um, where's that verse? Do, 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 do. Give me a sec. I got a little excited on my button here. And I got lost. He said, don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for it will not come unless the rebellion takes place first, the man of sin who is destined for destruction is revealed. That's where I went wrong. I jumped forward on my paper, not on my clicker. All right, where did I leave off? Never to be equaled again. <laughs> Have we looked at this one yet? That's where I left off? Thank you. <laughs> Is there a caffeine in the house? <laughs> all right. So let me take all that confusion and sum it up. At least five things I've learned from that passage. A time is coming when there will be another temple in Jerusalem. This will be a time of worldwide wickedness and worldwide distress. There will be many false prophets during this time, and many will abandon their faith in God. The abomination that causes desolation will be set up in the temple. There will be war and devastation so severe on the planet that unless God had intervened, no flesh would be saved. We're going to wipe ourselves out. I mean, you read through the book of Revelation, which we're getting through in the coming weeks. We're going to see, like, meteorites falling from space and landing into the ocean and, and wiping out a third of all fish life and turning the water to blood and all the fresh water gets nasty and a third of the trees and the green grass are burned up. Man, it's a tree hugger's nightmare. <laughs> Go ahead, enjoy your plastic bottles because it's all going down the tubes. The whole planet's going to be totally devastated and destroyed. It's going to be a nightmare. You think it's bad for the planet. T tells us in the Bible how many people are going to be wiped out too. One judgment, a third of the planet. Can you imagine? A third of the population of the planet just on a day? And that doesn't get them all. More come, more come, more come. Until there's just a few people left. It's going to be a horrible time. And this is all culminates in what you've heard of, the Battle of Armageddon. And though I don't know for sure, but I think that's where Jesus is going to say, okay, enough, and come back and put a stop to it. Well, I gave you those details from what Jesus said about the future. I gave you the details about the temple. There'll be another temple. After three and a half years, sacrifice will be stopped. The abomination that causes desolation will be set up. But there's more detail about those times. And that's found 
in 2 Thessalonians. Now we ask you, brothers, regarding the coming of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, and our gathering together to him, not to be so quickly upset or alarmed when someone claims that we said, either by some spirit, conversation, or letter, that the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for it will not come unless the rebellion takes place first and the man of sin who is destined for destruction is revealed. So we know that the day of the Lord will not come until the man of sin is revealed and the rebellion takes place. A couple of problems with trying to understand this. What is the day of the Lord? Some people think that's the rapture. And if that's what it's referring to, then we know the rapture can't happen until we know who the Antichrist is. That's possible. But the day of the Lord probably doesn't refer to the rapture. It probably does, refers to that seven-year tribulation period, which won't happen until the man of sin is revealed, the Antichrist, and the apostasy happens. Oh, Steve, you didn't say apostasy. You said rebellion takes place first. Yeah, that's a bad translation. The Greek word is apostasy. So we know that this end is going to happen after a great apostasy and after the Antichrist is revealed. Speaking of the Antichrist, he opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God and object of worship. And as a result, he seats himself in the temple of God and himself declares that he is God. Verse 9. The coming of the lawless one will be accompanied by the power of Satan, who used every kind of power, including miraculous signs and lying wonders. When the Antichrist is here, He's going to be able to deceive people. He's going to claim to be from God, the true one. He's going to claim to be God, and everybody should worship him. And I'll prove I'm God, and he'll make a statue come to life. Who wouldn't believe him? Well, hopefully you won't if you're here because of what I just read to you. Well, Steve, don't you believe the rapture will happen first? Yeah, I do. But maybe I'm wrong. Or maybe somebody's listening to my video after I've been raptured and I want them to understand that Antichrist is going to act like God. He's going to do miracles just like Jesus did. And that's to fool people. It'll be through the power of Satan, not through the power of God. Miraculous signs and lying wonders and every type of evil to deceive those who are perishing, those who refuse to love the truth, that they would say, uh, truth that would save them. And for this reason, God will send them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. Then all who have not believed the truth but have taken pleasure in unrighteousness will be condemned. All right, so the Thessalonians passage gives us at least six more pieces of detail about the future. You know what? You're always looking for new creative ways to tell your friends about Jesus or to invite them to church. Just go home and say, guess what we did in church today? What? We heard the future. Yeah, right. Some magic trick? No, no. He just told us what's going to happen. Is your pastor a prophet? Nope. Well, what did he say? You know they're going to ask. Then you can tell them. In fact, you can crack open to Jesus' own words and tell them what's going to happen. Tomorrow's newspaper. Find the passages in Revelation that talk about the planet being destroyed. Interesting stuff. You know, they should make a movie about the book of Revelation, don't you think? Yep. It would be the best movie ever. Scary, action-packed, God-honoring. 
Of course, Hollywood can't make it. After touching Noah, I don't want them to touch anything else in the Bible. <laughs> Somebody should make it, but not them. All right, six more details. First, world will enter the Great Tribulation. Second, wickedness will flourish. Third, people will abandon the faith, the great apostasy. Four, the temple will be rebuilt. And I told you a lot about things that are happening right now about rebuilding the temple in last week's message. So if you weren't here last week, you can just go online and watch it. It's really exciting and interesting. Five, the Antichrist will do deceptive miracles and lead many astray. And number six, the Antichrist will proclaim himself God and defile the temple. You know what? If it was a bad, evil temple, you couldn't defile it. It was already defiled. So that shows me that the building of the temple will be done by people who truly want to honor God. I could be mistaken, but it makes sense to me. Well, the scariest part of everything I just told you wasn't the, the, the waters being turned to blood, wasn't massive amounts of the population being destroyed, the four horsemen of the apocalypse with their famine and plague and death. Those aren't the scariest parts of what I just talked to you about. The scariest part, to me, these are like the scariest two verses in the Bible. For this reason, God will send them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. Then all who have not believed the truth but have taken pleasure in unrighteousness will be condemned. There comes a time in these people's lives when God says, no more chances for you. He helps the Antichrist deceive these people. Wow. Steve, really? Oh, yeah. And this isn't without biblical precedent. You remember Pharaoh? Pharaoh was, he was a useless, but he was a tool. So what do you do with somebody who's worthless? You can kill them, or you can still use them for your benefit. Kind of like a throwaway Pharaoh. You know, I can't do anything for you, Pharaoh. You're, you're lost. But I'm going to use you to proclaim my power throughout the world. Well, Scripture says, I don't know, half a dozen times, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Now, hey, the scripture also says Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So I think the proper way of looking at it is Pharaoh decided he's not following God. Permanent decision. It ain't going to happen. God, who knows all things, realized it's not going to happen and said, I can still put you to work. I got a pair of sneakers in my closet, ratty pair of pants and a ratty shirt, and I never wear them. And why are they in my closet? Because when Rich calls and says, hey, man, can you help me tar my roof? I don't have to ruin a good set of clothes. Right? If I just kept my nice clothes, I could never help anybody do anything. Work on my car or whatever. So I keep a ratty set of clothes around. God keeps ratty people around. So he can use them and throw them in the trash bin when he's done with them. This is scary. If it happened with Pharaoh and it's going to happen in the future, doesn't that mean it could be happening right now? Don't you think there are people right now who might keep saying no to God, 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 and God keeps saying, are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? 
And when does that last, are you sure, get asked? How many chances do we get to say no to Jesus? I don't know. And I don't ever want to find out. To me, it, it kind of reminds me, it's like playing Russian roulette with God. Is this my last chance? Because there's some people who think about Jesus. They, they think about going to church. They think about walking with him. And they're like, but then I got to stop the job I have because that's illegal. Or I got to stop sleeping around because that's immoral. Or I just don't want to be weird like all those other Christian people. They're fanatics and I don't want to be one of them. But within their heart, they're thinking, maybe it's true. Here's what I'll do. I'll just live my life for a few years. And then right before I die, then I'll ask Jesus into my heart. So when are you going to die? Anybody know? Well, no. You know, I'll be laying in my hospital bed, knowing the doctor says I've only got a few more days. Then I'll ask Jesus into my heart. No, you won't. Because you have spent your whole life rejecting him. What makes you think you're going to want to accept him at the last minute? Or worse yet, what if you get hit by a bus? Dang, missed my opportunity. No, you didn't miss your opportunity. You said no, 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 no. And God finally said, okay. It's a scary, scary concept. So that day will come when he will send them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie. Then all who have not believed the truth but have taken pleasure in unrighteousness will be condemned. One more passage of scripture and I'm done. Proverbs 29, verse 1. If you keep being stubborn after many warnings, you'll suddenly be destroyed and without remedy. God warns us, don't do that. Don't do that. The time will come or it'll be too late. Well, in the Old Testament, the prophets would talk about the people's sin. Tell them that if they don't repent, they're going to be destroyed. They're going to suffer horribly. But if they'll just turn back to God, then they start talking about all the blessings of walking with God. So I don't want to leave you on a negative note. I pulled up a verse on my handy-dandy Bible app for just such an occasion. So we pretend we just heard the prophet, and we did, several of them, talk about all the negatives, and now it's time to talk about the positives. Isaiah chapter 11. This is talking about when Jesus comes back. This is after the Antichrist. This is the, the millennial kingdom where that giant temple is going to be. Isaiah 11, verse 6. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion will graze together, and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, and their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like an ox. The nursing child will play over the hole of a cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on a viper's den. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And at that time, the root of Jesse, this is Jesus, who will be standing as a banner for his people, the nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. We get to choose which of the two futures we want. 
I encourage you to choose promptly, and I encourage you to choose wisely. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, thank you so much for telling us the future, letting us see tomorrow's newspaper today. It's not good news for seven years, but after that, a thousand years of gloriousness, and we thank you for that. While we're waiting for Jesus to flesh all these things out, God, I pray that you would help us to live our lives the way you want them lived. That we wouldn't be distracted by things that are unimportant or temporary. That we would enjoy them. You've given them to us to enjoy. But we wouldn't worship them. That we wouldn't long for them. But for righteousness in the Holy Spirit. And I pray for our friends and our family. And those of you listening to me pray, pray right now. Think of your friends and your family. Those who don't know the Lord who maybe they keep saying no to the Lord. We pray, God, that you would do something. Use us, speak to their hearts, grab their attention, shake things up, whatever you have to do to grab their attention so that they'll want to follow the King of kings and Lord of lords and the Prince of peace and know peace in their hearts like they've never known before. We praise you, Lord, and we ask this thing in your son Jesus' name. Amen.